Hello and welcome to the Bilingual Connection. I am your host, Mervyn Johnson. Today our guest is Catherine Churchman. She's a teacher of Asian Studies at Victoria University. She's been interested in languages ever since she was a child and read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings books. Uh, this show has a different feel to it than the previous ones, mostly because Catherine is a teacher and I wanted to get her take on being a teacher and a student of languages at the same time. So here's our talk. Uh, welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your journey through education and your interest in languages. Uh-huh. Um, okay, well, I grew up in Wairake, a small village to the north of Taupo in the 1980s. <laughs> and uh, we, we got to do a little bit of Te Reo Māori at school, but not that much. Uh, somebody came in and pointed to words on a chart and we were supposed to repeat them, but the kids wouldn't be easily controlled under this situation. <laughs> uh, then I used to make up my own languages as well. I quite liked The Hobbit uh, so and uh, Lord of the Rings when I got into my teens, and they're full of these made-up languages. Yeah, yeah. And then when I read a, a biography of, of Tolkien, one of the things... Yeah, uh, they wrote about was that he liked learning all of these different languages, like Anglo-Saxon, sort of Old English, and and Finnish, and so on. I guess I must have been about fifteen, and I started learning uh, Finnish and and Maori as well, just by myself. And that's what I used to do for fun sometimes. Finnish is spoken by about five million people, most of whom reside in Finland. There are also notable Finnish-speaking minorities in Sweden, Norway. Russia, Estonia, Brazil, Canada, and the United States. So you've been described as a polyglot. How many languages do you speak? Uh, and could you just talk about your proficiency, like your okay, speaking, so reading, writing? Sometimes I learnt them and then I forgot them again. It's like a, it almost seems like a bookshelf, and if you put one too many books on the end, the other one falls off the end. Right. So I've learnt a lot, but how many I could talk like you know, on an interview like this in? Five or six, maybe? Yeah. Oh. But um, maybe it would be, if, if I was put a week in each of those countries before I had to do an interview, then maybe, maybe I could manage more. Yeah. Cool. So which yeah. languages are those? Well, Mandarin is the, um, the top one because I've been doing it for the longest. Um, and then recently, or maybe in the last 10 or 15 years, I kind of switched over and started learning Hokkien more, which is the, especially the sort that's spoken in Malaysia. And then I did Dutch at university as well. Chinese and Dutch I did at university. Now you can't even study Dutch at, at universities in New Zealand anymore, but okay. back then you could. So Dutch I still, I still read in, in that just fine. Like I, I lived in Japan for two years as well, but then I don't speak Japanese that much nowadays, but I still use it for reading. Okay. Um, so lots of languages actually I read more than I speak. Like Vietnamese, for example, I can read stuff written in the 1930s on particular subjects with no problem but if you want me to read a comic now or, or speak like colloquial Vietnamese it's right. a lot harder okay mm. so living in New Zealand mm. how do you keep the language fresh you know in the past it was very difficult um, because all you had were books and I didn't meet a Finnish person for two or three years after I started learning Finnish uh, I had one very good Estonian friend. I forgot to mention Estonian okay. as well. Um, and we would meet every week and speak in Estonian for an hour a week. And that was how I learned back then. And back then, up until 
19, like even 2000, the internet wasn't that developed in New Zealand and I didn't have access to it. So, um, yeah, mostly it was at that time it was through speaking and also going to the other countries as well. Hokkien historically was a trade language used by overseas Chinese communities. Today, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia and Philippines have Hokkien as a most spoken variety of Chinese in their countries. Are you lecturer at yes. Victoria? Yes. Did you just talk about what you teach over there? Well, I don't actually teach anything to do with languages right. uh, at all. I teach Asian history, uh, 20th century Asian history about uh, the formation of modern Asian nations and uh, nationalism, and also another course called Contemporary Asian Society, uh, which I usually do half of, um, and that doesn't involve much uh, in the way of foreign language either. Okay. Um, I read things in Chinese for these sometimes, and things in Japanese. Sometimes I'll read it for, as background information to what I'm going to teach, and things in Dutch about Indonesia as well, because that they used to speak Dutch in the Dutch East Indies. So lots of things about Indonesia in the 1920s and 30s you can read about in Dutch. So I do use them sometimes, but not that much. Just for fun, usually. But you're an educator. You teach mm. students. Mm -hmm. But you yourself are a student of languages, you would yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about the balance? Well, that's hard as well. I mean, in the past, I didn't, when I was unemployed, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I had all the time in the world for learning these these things. Um, nowadays, what I'll tend to do is just choose what I read. Uh, so at the moment, I'm just reading a Chinese book. When I go to bed, I'll, I'll sit and read a Chinese novel. And after I've finished that, I'm almost finished that. I'll start reading a Dutch one. Would you say that gives you an advantage in other aspects of your life? You well, it does because you can read things that other people can't. Mm. And there's lots written in the internet that you see in English is only a fraction. Well, it's, it's a rather sizable fraction, but there are internets that exist in Thai. If you put, uh, say, Thai script into YouTube, you'll come out with suggestions in Thai after that that you'd never find if you're looking for them typing in English words. Mm. And I guess you must know about that in Hindi as well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Do you think enough is done in New Zealand to encourage Tereo? <laughs> yeah. I th now, I'm not sure what what goes on at primary schools now, but if you can't have children switching into this secret language overseas or young people switching into te reo Māori overseas so that no one else will know what they're talking about, then they're obviously not doing enough. <laughs> so speaking something, being able to talk about things, um, that still hasn't really, uh, it's not been managed. And I guess because they don't really have enough teachers who can speak it to a level to get it through all of the all of the primary school. So probably not. And sometimes even if it is taught compulsorily, in other countries they'll have languages that are, are taught compulsorily and people don't end up learning them to speak to each other because they tend to speak in whatever is easiest for them. Yeah. So what about some strategies? Uh, there's people try to learn in all different ways. They could go mm -hmm. to university, do mm -hmm. short intensive courses. Yep. Well, in the past, the only option for lots of things was to go to university in New Zealand. Um, and there was no opportunity at all to learn things like Finnish or Estonian or whatever. And now you can do those things online if you want. You don't get a qualification for them, but you often have more 
there's more material there for you and you can kind of pick and choose and learn these things for free as well. There are language courses online that are very, if you work through them properly, they're very, um, they're very good. Um, and you can learn a lot from them. You might sound a bit old-fashioned sometimes, but hmm. you'll learn that. If you're really determined, you'll find out hmm. what sounds a bit old-fashioned sooner or later. Hmm. Would you say it's fair hmm. that when you speak a different language, you hmm. have a better insight into a culture rather than reading just history books? Uh, that's true uh, to some extent. But I'd say that, so for instance, if you just speak Chinese without reading Chinese, you're going to be at a disadvantage. Because there's a lot of uh, a lot of the cultural background that shapes the way people think today is based on these these things that they read and wrote. Um, so you'll get maybe you'll understand a lot about about the present day, but you won't understand about why it's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, like for Chinese, for example, if you read books from China. Uh, some of the topics are heavily censored anyway, but you can read books in Chinese from Taiwan, which which aren't, mm. and you'll have a different view on it. What do you think is a good way of keeping a language alive for new migrants who come here, and they have young children who go to school in New Zealand, uh-huh. and <laughs> maybe they're losing their language, they could be ah, right. Spanish okay. or Hindi or whatever. Mm. Well, some of those things happen because parents just don't try hard enough, um, and they don't insist on it. and I think there are problems as well that not every language that you speak at home has all of the things that that others have. So for instance, if you have children growing up here and they speak French and you want them to learn to read and write, then that's fine. You can get a lot of um, material sent over now, uh, like kids' books and all kinds of things. All they need to do is learn how to write out the sound, the things that they're saying, which is kind of harder in French, I say, than other languages. Uh, but there were people here who survived, who grew up here and could speak Estonian fluently, and they still are, because their parents insisted on it. And they saw the language as being under threat at home as well. Uh, so they just insisted on speaking it and made, encouraged the children to, to learn it. As for other languages, well... How do you teach, say, a language that doesn't have a written system? That's a lot more difficult. You need someone to come along and, and write things in it. And if they don't, then it's, it's very difficult. But also, just I guess it's, it's important to remember that, that migrations and linguistic change have been happening as long as people have been speaking languages. So... It seems like something is dying out. Yes, some, some languages are dying out. But what we don't notice is that slowly new languages are being created, right. uh, different types of English, and eventually they could go off and have a life of their own somewhere. Right. Just like Indo-European evolved into Hindi and Latvian and Lithuanian thousands of years ago. Cool, cool. Mm. Well, Catherine, I know yeah. you're busy, and I appreciate you being on here, yeah. and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to The Bilingual Connection. As you may have noticed, we didn't have the final segment of the show where the guest has to judge and answer a question in their language. I thought I'd give that a break for this episode and be back next week with a slightly different version of it. Anyways, next week we have a good friend of mine, Nixon Mataru, born and raised in New Delhi. He's been living in New Zealand for the last few years. 
I'm really looking forward to doing that episode. If you like this episode, please share it on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. My Facebook and Twitter handles are Mervin Johnson TV. That's M-E-R-V-I-N-J-O-H-N-S-O-N-T-V. Please follow me and send any requests or future guests or questions you may have. All credit to Jimmy Fontanes for the theme music. And that is all from me this week. Adios.